0: I'm excited to dive into the scripture today, a uh, lot God's placed on my heart. Um, I was one of those guys who stayed up until the middle of the night for the election. Did anybody else do that? How many people? In the, okay, good. I'm not the only one. This was the second time I've done that. The first time I did that was about 12 years ago, and I stayed up all night talking to this girl, acting like I was interested in politics, but I wasn't. So guys, sometimes it pays to fake like you're interested in politics, because she's now my wife. <laughs> that was like our first bonding night, <laughs> was faking acting like we're in, interested in politics. So, and we just weren't at that time. Uh, but over the course of um, of, of time, uh, I, I've, I've learned a lot, learned a lot just about what God um, wants from his people and for his people. Um, and I, I think I, I've learned in the area of politics and how this is supposed to kind of relate and, and how we're supposed to live this out. And most importantly, I've, I've prayed and asked God, what's my responsibility to you as your pastor in this time? What's my responsibility? How can I serve you well? And um, we're doing this series called Kings and Kingdoms. We started it last week. And we're going to be kind of going and wrapping it up at the end of this month. That, that The kingdom that, that we pledge allegiance to is, is um, not of this world, but it's the kingdom of heaven and uh, we establish it and live it out on this earth, and so I'm excited to dive into the scriptures, but today I, I really want to share from my heart um, and just kind of give you three real simple things about how to be faithful under good and bad kings, right? Because some of you have come away from this election thanking God and, and relieved, and others maybe have come away just even more discouraged about where America's at in this kind of nasty division that we find in our country, and everywhere we turn, whether it's um, you know, mass media or s- s- local media or social media or just our friends and family. Um, there's, there's real issues and division that's taking place, and uh, we, we want to lean into that this morning. And most importantly, I want you to understand what it means and what it looks like, just very simply, to be faithful to God, no matter what's going on there. Uh, he's, he's got a calling for us and a specific um, life that we're supposed to be following Him in and so I want to dive into that. But before I, I do, I want to actually bore you to death with some history. Oh, I thought you were going to cheer after that. No, no, no. You, no, I'm not going to bore you to death uh, with some history. But I think it's important that we trace like some thousands of years in a very short amount of time. So if you have a seatbelt nearby, put it on. Because I'm about to run through like thousands and thousands of years of church history and God's people history. That you, we might understand that division doesn't surprise God. And sometimes division is actually his plan and his response to what's going on. And while we think, it's funny, I don't know if you've ever watched the stock market trends for the past 100 years. I know you haven't been alive that long, but if you follow the trends, like there's a lot of ups and downs, but it's always up and to the right. And as we look at the kingdom of God, as we look at the kingdom of heaven, a lot of times we, we feel kind of this up and down, but what, what's happened is the kingdom of God is always advancing. Because when he spoke to Peter, he said, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so for any of you that walk in with fear, I hope you walk out with joy and confidence and peace that, that God's kingdom is is not um, going to be lost in this midst, but it's, it's going to be going forward. And God uses uh, even division um, to to uh, fast forward his kingdom, and so I, I believe he's doing that in, in our country right now, because um, because because we're leaning in, we're we're leaning in to hear what God has to say to us, and so let me let me uh, run all the way back to Genesis chapter one. I told you we're going to do thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history. So here we go, Genesis one and two, creation, right? Genesis three, we get the fall of man. Genesis chapter four, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel, begin to foreshadow the division of God's people. Sin enters the picture, and then division. Cain and Abel, like they're, they're, they kill one another, they don't kill one another, but uh, Cain kills Abel, right? That, yeah, Cain kills Abel. Um, I'm asking you, right, right? right? It's a rhetorical question. Um, so Cain and Abel, and, and then like let's fast forward from there. So we get this foreshadowing of division to come um, because sin entered the picture. It wasn't God's original plan, but sin entered the picture, and, and it changes. Um, so Genesis, let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 12, and we see the call of this guy named Abram. And he was in this very comfortable place in his town that he had always grown up in. How many of y'all left home? Left home what you grew up in? Yeah, me too. Left home and, and, and never went back. Uh, and so God calls him to do that, and it's a, it's a big faith step. Um, at this time, he wasn't moving for job. <laughs> he wasn't going with his stuff. He was going because God told him to go. And so he follows that. But with that, he gives him a promise. He says, if you do this, I'm going to make this great nation out of you. And, and like all nations will be blessed because of you. So he promises this future blessing. And here's, here's like a little sermon within all this boring history stuff I'm going to give you here. Is that uh, the path to the promise always includes obedience. And so he had to leave. So let's, let's fast forward over a, a few chapters to Genesis chapter 17, and we see the covenant of circumcision, and everybody said, because <laughs> uh, these weren't babies. They were doing it with grown men at this time. God called these men to great intense humility, because nothing will humble you more than the cutting away of the flesh happens. God does. He cuts that flesh in our life. And so this covenant of circumcision, and there's a very important thing that that God says in in, uh, chapter 17, verse 3. He says, if you follow my commands, if you're faithful to me, um, I'll increase your numbers. I'll increase your numbers. And and so remember this as we go forward, as God's going to divide his people because they're not faithful. He's true to his word. So the path to the promise always includes obedience. It always includes um, humility there. And then skip over to Genesis chapter 22. God gave him this promise. But here Abraham and Sarah are well up in their years and way past having baby time. And it's just like that promise is gone. What happened? God, God forsake me. You know, he, he just, he, he's not around. Where's the promise? Well, God answers the promise and they have Isaac. And then God tests him with that which he gave him. God's going to test you with what he gave you. Whether that's financially, whether that's relationally, whether that's your job, whatever it is, what he places in your hand, he's going to ask for a sacrifice on it. And that's another part of the path to the promise is not only obedience and humility, but it's sacrifice. And so he brings it there, and then God provides a ram so that he wouldn't have to kill his son. Everybody said, amen, because that was crazy. But he had to trust. He had to make that step of faith, that, that sacrifice. And then Isaac has these two sons, Jacob and Esau, who will also foreshadow division. He says that actually one will be slave to the other, that, that he'll serve the other. And so we get these, these two sons in Genesis chapter 25, Jacob and Esau. And, and from here, uh, we move on, and Jacob's kind of the, the blessed one, Esau, the, the one that will uh, be a heel grabber. I think it is um, even um, here. Is that what? Yeah, that's what them. Uh, and then Genesis chapter 32, um, Jacob goes and he wrestles God at night. Just this crazy picture of in the middle of the night, in the middle of the woods, God is wrestling Jacob. And so Jacob, God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And so Israel, the literal, what it means is man who wrestles with God. And so the people of Israel have always been wrestling with God and going, going with that. So Genesis chapter 32. And so this whole time, we're, this is still, and it's kind of the beginning of what we know as the patriarch. Era era of leadership, and then we go o- over to Exodus, and that continues, and, and finally, like Moses will come along, and um, he'll be a patriarch, and we go over to Exodus, and Exodus through Deuteronomy, we see. Uh, do you have your next my next thing there? Yeah, Exodus through Deuteronomy, it's Moses, and then we'll go through this incredible story of uh, the people of God, God raising them up out of, and pulling them out of like decades and decades and generations and generations of slavery. And then we get to, and Moses dies, and it's passed off to Joshua, still a patriarch. And then we go into an era, if you're just following in the books of the Bible, this is kind of how it goes. And some of you have never understood kind of why things are laid out like, and so I hope this is helping. And we kind of move in, into a territory that it's no longer patriarchs, but it's judges. It's these people that God has appointed to oversee this great nation. They're a nation. They are. They have culture, and, but they're God's people, and he's their king. And when he says go, they go. And when they, he says stay, stay. And when he tells them to sacrifice this, they sacrifice this. They're, they're his people. He chose them, and he rescued them. They're his people. And so Ruth is still a part of the judges, and the part of the fifteenth judge is Samuel. He's a prophet, and all the uh, pro- or all the judges were men except for one woman. Ladies, where you at? There's Deborah. She's the one lone wolf judge for the ladies. Uh, but the last judge is Samuel. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Is it gets to a place that as Samuel's dying, and he was a faithful man of God. He was a prophet for God. He spoke for God to his people and warned them about what's to come. And they said, we want a king like everybody else. And in this election cycle, we're probably like, actually, I think we should do it like Switzerland. or We should do it like Canada. Or we're kind of wanting a king like everybody else. We want someone like this. And, or we want to restore the Reagan era. We're wanting a king like everybody else is really what we're wanting and Saul warns them, and God warn, God tells um, Samuel to warn them and say, look, you, you don't know what you're asking for. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people, and you're going to walk in freedom all the days of your life. I rescued from that to teach uh, to teach you something. But they want it their way, and so God says, give them their way. Give them their way. And so they get a king. They get Saul, and then we go into the era of kings. And so Saul is uh, a, a bad king, and he's a super... Um, uh, insecure king, and then you've kind of heard some of the stories, probably of Saul and David and Solomon. You probably didn't know about this guy Ishbosheth, um, right? Ishbosheth, say that with me, Ishbosheth, right? You never heard of this guy. He actually was a king between Saul and David, and many times we, we don't realize this, but he was actually a king for two years. Um, but some stuff be- begins to go on. We're getting some some kind of foreshadowing with Cain and Abel and with Jacob and Esau. But here in Ishbosheth, we get way more foreshadowing about how this thing is going to divide because it becomes a prequel to the division of the people Israel. Because at, at this time, uh, as Saul uh, dies, commits suicide, they, they take Ishbosheth. And before Saul died, Samuel, and before he died, he anointed David and said, You're the next king of Israel. He was, he was the one that God chose. But the people, there's 12 tribes of, of Israel. And then 10 of them started following this guy, Ishbosheth, but he wasn't God's anointed. So Judah and Benjamin, two of the tribes, followed David. And he wasn't the king yet, but they were like, "Nope, we're waiting. we're waiting for God's guy. We're waiting for God's man." And so we get these 12 tribes of, of Israel, and it's split up. Do I have the list of the, the, king, or of the uh, tribes up there? I think I do. So these are the sons and the grandsons of Jacob. Uh, there's these 12. Sons and grandsons. Um, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh are, are actually grandsons, but it's kind of put under one heading of Joseph. And these are tribes. If, if you've ever kind of think in a tribal mentality, that these were kind of families. And and so with families, there's lots of drama, right? Isn't there like politics with family? Come on, you know what I'm talking about? No, you can't say that because then uh, I mean, we just get into life and like the holidays is going to highlight that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll see it then. But there's always politics of family, and so uh, from, from a, 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 um, a physical and an earthly view, we see that the problem of this division was about tribal feuding and political unrest that's going to build to this division, kind of where we're at as a nation. Like, well, this, this tribe is against this tribe, and this tribe is against that tribe, and there's political. So at, at the eyesight, in an earthly view, it's, it's that. But the spiritual level, the spiritual principle is that sin and unfaithfulness to God is the reason for this division. And, and God comes to um, uh, Saul, and if you'll go back, actually, go back to, he goes to, um, to a, a man named uh, Jeroboam. Uh, a prophet comes to him and says, look, I'm, I'm going to rip the kingdom apart. God said, I'm going to do this because this group's been unfaithful. They, they had, they had been unfaithful. And they were worshipping other gods, and they were worshiping other idols. And he says, I'm gonna divide it. So take this cloth and rip ten pieces off and put it in two in another. He said, I'm gonna divide it. I'm gonna do more with two, the two faithful, than I am with with the ten that are unfaithful. And so then then we get this split kingdom, and depending on where you're at in history, it could mean Israel could mean different things. It could mean a united kingdom, or it could mean just the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that were unfaithful. And the southern kingdom, the, the uh people of Judah. Um, were faithful, or more faithful than the others, at least. And so the two tribes there are Benjamin and Judah. okay. And this is the tribe that, that David, um, again, would, would come out of and Jesus would be in the lineage of. There was never a good king in the history of the northern kingdom. They were all wicked. And and uh, Judah saw good kings and they saw bad kings. They saw ups and they saw downs. Okay, so I give you all that history. Why did I give you all that history? Why we we truck through all that? First of all, because... It's probably important for you to know it. Some of you are like, oh, so that's what that means, that helps. Um, ho- hopefully it does help you in your Bible reading and studying of the Old Testament. But I think if we begin to see, like, division isn't a surprise to God, right? Like, a little bit of division in our country or a lot of bit of division, depending on how you look at it, is not super shocking to God. In fact, sometimes he does it for his glory and for what he wants to do. And this is an uncomfortable scripture for us, but even Jesus, like the, the patron saint of pacifists, who put a man's ear on, um, you know, to heal it after one of his men tried to cut it off and like, start the revolution now. They're coming after, arrest Jesus, cut the ear off. Jesus heals it. So we see that even Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. To set father against son, against mother, against daughter. He's saying that the gospel is offensive because it says you're not good on your own. You're not good enough by yourself. It's offensive, and, and, and there is division that will happen, but God used it for his glory, and there's a way that we can do that that honors God, and I want to talk about that, and I want to give you three things today. The first one is to fear, to fear God, to fear God. I don't know about you, but I grew up with a healthy fear of God in my life. And the reason I say that is because I knew if I did something in church or outside of church that I was not supposed to, my dad would whoop my tail. Anybody else grew up like that? That was the fear of God as I understood it. If I did something wrong, I got, <laughs> I got spanked. Uh, anybody else? Am I the only one? Okay, nobody wants to confess uh, about getting spanked. But I got spanked a lot, a lot. Um, and that's kind of all I knew about the fear of God and, uh, and then I began um, to, to follow the Lord. The Lord understood about his grace and began to fall in love with him. And I realized that as I was learning more about the gospel that I didn't have to be afraid of God. Because when I started out, I was just afraid that he was going to strike me dead if I did something wrong. But as I went along, I began to understand grace and understand what the real fear of God meant because the scriptures are rich in talking about the fear of God. Um, but some of us, we don't grasp this. And, and I think 1 John chapter 4 really gives a lot of beauty to it. And helps us to understand the concept is that perfect love casts out fear. Because with fear has to do with judgment. And that, and that love is the greater emotion of the two. But I believe that the ultimate honor and reverence of God, the f- ultimate fear of God, and perfect love, are the, it's the same thing, but love is the greater emotion. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife's grandfather passed away. Uh, we knew it was coming, but um, he was suffering. He knew the Lord a long time. We were up in Georgia for the funeral, and uh, there's little Jack, who's this cute little red-headed uh, two-year-old, and Jack was out in the yard, and everybody was out there playing, and uh, one of his aunts is kind of watching him, but Jack, you know, two-year-olds, they're just They run a lot. And so Jack goes running out into the street, and there is this big redneck truck coming right at it. I mean, we're in Georgia, you know what I mean, like the the big tires, the whole deal. And he's, he's sprinting out there, and I hear his mom shriek from the porch behind me, Jack! And then go sprinting, jumping off. I mean, it was like this whole scene and like everybody turns and looks and like sees the truck. And thankfully the truck truck stopped and she ran out and grabbed him and was so just overwhelmed with emotion. And it was just a lot. And, And maybe you've lived a scenario where love conquers fear. Mama wasn't worried about running to the street. She wasn't worried about the truck. She wasn't fearful of what could happen about that. It, 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 was, it was love that would kind of push all that to the side. Love is the greater emotion that compelled her. It wasn't just fear of losing a child, but it was, it was the love for the child. And, and so it, it's a greater emotion. I think some of us, we, we comprehend the fear of God, but I don't know that we comprehend the depth of the fear of God and, and the depth of perfect love and how these work together. And Let me give you a little something here to, to uh, explain it. It's reverence plus relationship that equals perfect love. It's, it's reverence plus relationship that equals perfect love. If, if you have reverence without relationship, you'll have empty love. You, you, you'll, you'll, care, you'll, you'll have this reverence of when you walk into a building, you'll watch your mouth and you'll make sure you say the right things and you do the right things when you're around Christians, And but, but really on the outside, like it, it's, it's just empty, it's just like kind of this faux reverence, and that's why the Ten Commandment of don't make any idols, because I don't want you to believe that you can walk into my presence, and then walk out. God's way bigger than that, and so if you have reverence without relationship, you'll have an empty love, but if you have relationship without reverence, you'll still you'll just have a shallow love, because it, it's kind of relationship on your terms, it's, it's using God for our pleasure and for what we want and not for the ultimate worship and dedicating of our lives to him. The fear of God is this ultimate reverence and honor that he is above all, he makes the rules and not the other way around. And that he's called me into a relationship, I didn't call him into a relationship. There's a, there's a difference, there's a difference in the way of view. If you have both the fear and the friendship of God, you have love that knows no end and so some of us, maybe we've been, we've had this reverence for church, for God, but we've been missing this relationship thing, and it's empty. It's empty love, it's empty words, it's empty, it's, re- it's religion is what it is. Or some of us, we've had this relationship, but it's kind of on our terms, Jesus is my homeboy, like when I'm feeling it, and when I feel like getting up, and when I feel like reading my Bible, and when I feel like talking to him, it's been all on our terms, and there's not this reverence that, yo, he put the stars in place, and he wants to have a relationship with me, Whoa. Like that, that changes things and I begin to understand perfect love that he has for me. And it's not until I understand what he has for me that I can understand what he has for others. And so I pray that you come to comprehend his perfect love for you. A love that knew no end. It didn't matter how much Jesus had to suffer that he would go to the cross for us. So that's the first thing. We're not un- united by our ability um, to get on the same page about every issue, we're united by the blood of Christ. Remember that. We're not united about our ability to, c- to get on the same page about everything, but we're united by the blood of Christ uh, and the fear of God. Matthew 10 says this. I've got So do not be afraid of, of them, for there's nothing concealed, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, there's nothing concealed that will be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. Roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I love that text. It's really powerful in light of that. And I don't have time to unpack it completely like I want to. But it it speaks about the fear of God, and and it speaks about his personal care and love for you, that he knows every hair on your head, and that you're worth way more than all this other stuff, that he he just loves you. So let's move on. The second thing is to honor man, to honor man. And this is one that I I think in this time, and and let let me just be really, really transparent. Um, I I don't broadcast who I vote for or whatever. I'll just tell you, I didn't vote for either one of the main ones. That's just me, okay? Um, I get to make my... My my uh, decision on that, um, I I voted probably for somebody that nobody else voted for. <laughs> so that's just my personal convictions on on where I uh, was, and I was and I was critical of Donald Trump once through social media, and, I, and I'm very careful about what I say through tr- social media, and I usually don't um, speak down about anyone, whether they're they're good or bad. Um, but this I, I remember this one this one phrase that I kind of let out there and and spoke something down about him, and on the backside of that now. I've, I've I've come to the Lord and I've apologized. I have, um, because of what the scriptures tell me about honoring man, and honoring um, and honoring the leaders that He's placed over us. And so I've had to go back and repent. And and uh, for any of you that fall in the category that I do, um, for this past uh, election or, or in the past about maybe a different leader, uh, I believe that God might want you to to do the same. Uh, Being faithful under uh, good and bad kings, uh, here's here's some scriptures for you. Romans 13, 1-2, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. First Timothy two. I don't have this one up here. First Timothy two, one through three. First of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Pray for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead uh, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good deed. That was Titus 3, 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king, as the one in authority, or governor sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. doers. goes on. There's a bunch of scriptures. I'm not just taking one thing out of context. In, in the, the New Testament, where God wants us to, to, to submit to our leadership. And to not just submit to them, but to pray for them. To pray for them. And even if you find that person to be your worst enemy in the world, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. And so in this time, in a church that's not as divided as we think it is, on different sides of the aisle, and I I, I mean that because we're united in Christ. We're not united in government. We're united in Christ. That's why I say that. Um. But in in this kind of time where we feel so much division, let's make a commitment to pray. Let's make a commitment to pray. Because prayer not only changes the situation, it changes us. It changes us. Um, A king's affirmation as good or bad king throughout Scripture comes not from the success of their policies, but their success at obeying and honoring God. As we looked at all those, these are the good kings, these are the bad kings, It doesn't, policies don't matter at the end of the day. They're very temporary. Things are going to get repealed. Things are going to go back and forth over the course of time. What does matter is the everlasting word of God that does not change. It doesn't change. And so what what we're praying for is not just policy. We're praying for people that God will work in their heart that will transform them. Um, Because the king is going to have to answer for their obedience or their disobedience to God. And I'm going to have to answer for my faithfulness to the Lord. Okay? They're going to have to do that. And so at the end of the day, none of my biz. It really, like my first focus, and and this is the problem. I don't know if, if, if... any of you uh, ever found yourself and classify yourself as a rubbernecker? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm a classic rubbernecker. Um, you know, you see the accident, if you don't know what that terminology is. I see the accident, and I'm just watching it. I'm just watching it. And I bet there's somebody in this room that has gotten an accident by watching another accident. You don't have to confess. You don't have to lift your hand. But I bet there's somebody in here that's gotten an accident. And, and this is what I, I find in this whole topic of, of We miss out on faithfulness because we're worried about everybody else's unfaithfulness. And, like, we're rubbernecking spiritually. We're caught up and we're distracted by all this other stuff. And whether my faithfulness has to do with my character and and what God's done in my life, it's not really impacted by what someone else does. It is. But at the end of the day, I've got to be more worried, and, and that's that's not where we're at. We're we're more concerned, uh, and we're so easily distracted by the failures of others. I heard a, a he's a retired pastor now, and um, I heard him talking. And I I was in the food service industry for a long time before I uh, before I, I, I went into full time ministry. Um, it was one of my first jobs, and I I'd served, and you know. Um, and cooked behind the scenes, and so I understand what that's like. I understand what it's like to live on tips for any of you that are doing that or have done that in the past. And uh, I heard this pastor said something really profound, and I've always kept it. And I think it applies to to this conversation about honoring man, because when we honor man, we we honor God, because that's the way He set it up. That's what He calls us to. And this this retired pastor said. I don't, because t- ch- the church is known for being terrible tippers. Anybody that's a server in the room, just say, hey, man, you can, yeah. Um, they're known for that. Like, it's a terrible thing to be known for, but we're known for it. And he said, I don't tip based on their performance. I tip based on my character. And I thought that's very profound in this topic about honoring men. Whether, whether they did the best job or the worst job, I, I'm not, I'm not going to respond off of their performance. I'm going to respond off my character and what I believe is right. And so, and you, you, you can have different opinions about that, but I, I, think, I think it goes way beyond the tip thing. I think it goes to our, our character and our faithfulness and not being distracted by everybody else's failures and how well they're doing. Because here's the truth, is that your boss is going to have bad seasons of life. And your pastor's not always going to be at his peak of serving you and your family. I'm not. You're going to find seasons where, man, you're not doing a good job as you used to. Now you're so distracted. And, we'll f- and, and what the enemy would love for you to do is get distracted about my shortcomings or the person sitting next to you, shortcoming or a spouse or your boss. The enemy would love for you to just think about those things because when you're, when you're focused on those things, you're not focused on being faithful to God and what he asks you to do. And so I would just, I would just guess that every single person has someone, someone in authority or someone that, that, that works alongside of you or, or a friend that's distracting you from being completely faithful to God. And the enemy's rejoicing over it. So don't allow it. Don't be rubbernecking spiritually. Um, but find yourself really in a place where God's refining you. Sometimes God, ref, not sometimes, God's always refining your character, whether it's a good king or a bad king. Okay? So to, to honor man. Uh, And then lastly, to live boldly. To live boldly. Let me read the text and then I'll I'll talk about it. Peter and John um, are arrested. They're arrested for preaching the gospel. And they're held overnight and they're questioning them. And they get to, to this place in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 19 and 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? This is their response to these guys, and it's a good mic drop mom, uh, moment here. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What's right? to be more worried about them, what they say? Or, and I think here's the danger is that in this society, like people love to break up with pe- people because God told them to. Gods I'm going to break up with you. And maybe he did, but a lot of t- but a lot of times he didn't and you just think that's an easy out. Right? Well, you can't say anything, God said it. And we just kind of drop it like nope, God. People leave the church because like God told me to. And maybe he did. Maybe he did. But maybe but maybe you're just kind of slapping that on. And I, I talked about how we misunderstand like the use and, you know, create no idols and the reasoning for that. We, the, the um, don't use the Lord's name in vain, that's what that means, is taking God's stamp of approval and putting it putting on things that he has nothing to do with and he did not say to you. That's, what, that's really what that, that means. And so Peter and John replied, what's right to, to do what God um, told us to do, or, or you, you be the judges for us. We cannot help speaking. That goes back to that song we were singing, that we cannot contain what God is doing in our heart I, I almost preached on Daniel. Some of you are familiar with Daniel in the in the Bible. And I, I can't trace the whole story, but we see a man who feared God more than he feared man. He really feared God. Everybody give it up for Jason hobbling up there and saying, the <laughs> Everybody's like watching, I'm like, oh, he's just gonna sit. So he's rocking it, man, making it happen. Everybody's like, Don't fall, man, don't fall. Strained his calf at the last game of uh, of softball season. And so we had a blast doing that. That was a lot of fun. That's our softball team wrapped up this week, um, but I was I was thinking about preaching this whole sermon on Daniel because Daniel feared God, but he also honored man. Like King Nebuchadnezzar was a terrible, ruthless king. He was, and that's who he was under. He, he was a king. He was a ruthless king. But Daniel was faithful to him, and he interpreted his dream. Like he talked out some of the things that he was going through, and his fears and anxieties, and he needed this dream interpreted. And so Daniel was faithful, and he honored him that way, that he was faithful in in the house. And you know the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know about Daniel and the lion's den and the faithfulness. Those dudes lived boldly. They feared God. They honored man, but they honored God more. And, And God called them to live out the faith boldly. And that's what living boldly is. It's when our faith actually hits the ground and does something. Because some of us carry around our faith like our voter registration card, and we don't even know where it's at. But when it's time, like we try to find it and like, hey, yep, got it. I've got faith, faith, faith that can move mountains, right? Small as a mustard seed. And it's not active. And it's not active. In it. And living boldly that God calls us to is active. It's, it's real, like, it's not just saying, um, lead me, you know, singing the song Oceans, of like, lead me where waters, or whatever that song's about, it's super long. But it, it's got a lot of words in it. Um, but it's saying, God, actually lead me, and when you tell me to go somewhere, I'll do it. Like, Abraham, I'll follow the promise. And like, when, even when I find myself in a season I didn't expect to find myself like Moses, all through his, but under slavery. Like, I'll trust you, God trust you. Bold living is a reflection of how much we can we actually, we actually trust God. Not what we say or not what we really believe, but, but living it out is, is really where the rubber hits the road. And let me just tell you, we need we need a revolution in the church of bold living. We do. That will not just move with the flow of traffic. I'm not talking about left. I'm not talking about right. I'm talking about eyes focused on Jesus. And when he calls us, we step out and we do it and we live boldly. People that aren't going to go with the flow of traffic. People that aren't going to go with the flow of hate. People aren't going to go with the flow of self-worship. People that aren't going to go in the path of loneliness and isolation and individualism. Because that's not the picture that he's painted here. We 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 need a real revolution. I'm not just talking about out there in the streets. The first revolution is going to happen right here. It's going to happen right here. And and we can say all we want about what's going on in our country, but we got to own it too. We we, we got to own it as a as a church, big capital C church, lowercase C church. We got to own it as a church that. That maybe some things have gotten out of control because we haven't been living boldly, because we haven't actually, I don't know, walked in the roots of what that looks like on a daily basis to live it out. And so here's what I want to tell you, is that God has branded our church. He's, He's branded us, and I'm not talking about in a marketing sense. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. I didn't come up with the name Fathom. God did. I I truly believe it. And he placed us in this place for a reason, and he's placed you in this place for a reason. And for those of you that don't know, like, Fathom in Old English, it's a term of measurement, so that's where we get the depth, and to mean, to understand. Understand what church is really about. But it's also, it, it was used before sonar and all those things. It was used in a, a, a sense of, they would have rope, they'd have rope and they, they, would sh- they, they didn't have tape measures or sonar and so th- they'd stretch out a rope and a fathom is about six feet long and the literal translation in Old English is outstretched arms. It's the message of the gospel, it's the message of the church that I don't have answers for what we need to do about the policies and I don't, I don't know how to extinguish someone's hate but what I can do is open my arms and be faithful about what he's telling me to do right now. Okay? So let's get, let's get our eyes off the big picture for a second. Let's get, off, get our eyes off the things that aren't going well, the people who are being unfaithful. Let's get our eyes on the one, the author and finisher of our faith and fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. And just walk in reverence and walk in relationship with him. Continue to honor man. Do what God's called us to do in that. Pray for our leaders. Come on, let's let it be real. Let's walk in boldness that God's called us to. And let them teach us through this. I want to ask you to stand. And God, we thank you for these people. I thank you for this time. We celebrate the resurrection because we know victory, God. If we felt like we won this election or lost it or if everybody loses, we have victory in Christ for that we say amen. God, so be it. Let us live out your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God, help those that are struggling to know real relationship and walk in fear of you and perfect love that you've given them. Help them to accept it and receive that today. Help us to all be transformed to pray for our leaders and to walk boldly. In Christ's name, amen. Come as you are. Come to pray. Uh, Come to, to kneel and pray. Come to the crosses. Come break bread.